Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Iron Brew Podcast in conversation with Chris Hope. In part one, Tony Shepherdson and Chris discussed his early career as well as the first few years of his time at Scunthorpe United. We begin part two at the start of the 1996 season as the conversation moves closer and closer towards that playoff win at Wembley. In the 96-97 season, there's three arrivals there of note. One you've mentioned, Alex Calvo-Garcia, the man that got the winner at Wembley. Nigel Adkins and, of course, Mark Lewis. But let's take Nigel Adkins. He came as physio, but he did for a physio of great knowledge of the game. Yeah, massively. Nigel's, well, as you know, he's the nicest fella in the world. And, um, you know, you go in the physio room and you can have a chat. You know, I hadn't met Nigel before, but, like, you know, from very early on, you know, he, he, he knew his onion, so this, and, um, you know, he, um, very, you know, so he was quiet early doors, but yeah, he, he liked a bit of banter, but. The lads could sort of get after him a bit, you know, he was, because he was such a nice guy, you know, he, and he, he used to bag it a little bit in the start, start with, so lads would go in the physio room and wind him up. But, you know, again, he was great, uh, obviously excellent physio, but you could see he had the knowledge. And again, it wasn't a surprise to me later on that he sort of went into coaching and then obviously a very successful manager. Um, but yeah, he's a great guy. Again, you know, having people like that in the background, you know, uh, with that knowledge, you know, you think at the time when, he came in that, you know, you've got the manager and the coaches and stuff, but someone like with that knowledge in the physio and a bit like Dave Moore was as well, like that when lads are injured, they understand, you know, what they're going through yeah. to be fit again and stuff. So like that, they, they see it from that side or something, you know, even little tactical stuff, they can pick, oh, maybe you should try this and that. And they might just put that little seed of thought in your, your mind to help. And um, Nigel, you know, he, Again, he had an opinion, but in a sort of a quite a mild mannered way. And, um, I like Nice, a lot of time for him. Such a nice guy. And um, yeah, he was a great addition to the club, along with Mark. And obviously, Alex, it goes out saying, you know, an absolute legend of the club. Yeah, just last thing on the night, his glass was always half full, never half empty. Yeah, yeah, he was. He's such a positive guy. And I, I mean, I saw him a couple of years back, just, you know, just said hello to him and stuff. But like, I see he's on social media and he's on like Twitter and Instagram or whatever. And like, he's, he's out walking and he's just everything's positive. And he's always, and, and that's a good thing, you know. Um, like I say, I'm quite a positive guy myself. But I think if you've got, and I have played at clubs where, you know, You've got people who are the other way around and can be a bit negative and it can suck the life out of some, you know, dressing rooms. You know, where you've got, you know, say if your physio's all doom and gloom and stuff, you'd be like, I don't want to go in there and speak to you. You know, you just, I just think at the time, you know, from the, the coaching staff, we had a good blend and Nigel actually was so positive about everything. So even on a bad run, you'd be, you could go in there and like, don't worry, lads, we'll get it right and stuff. And sometimes as players, you need that, you know. And certainly, I was never a person who sort of needed a arm around the shoulder. I was more of a kick up the arse type of player. But, you know, some people do need that. You know, there's lads that go into the physio room and Nigel was there. And, 
you know, they might be having a bad time or not scoring goals. And you'd be like, look, don't worry, you know, it's going to be fine. And, you know, they probably walked out feeling a lot better than when they were first walked in. So, yeah, great bloke, a lot of time for Nigel. Yeah, and that particular season, um, when we got into the December, January time of the season, there wasn't a lot of football played because of the bad weather and cold weather. Yeah. Does, does that affect a professional footballer when he's not getting the games that he should be mid-season? It makes me laugh a little bit now, and I know the game's different, and I'm a bit old school in my thoughts, but when managers and like the Prem players are talking about, oh, it's too many games in a week, I'm thinking, what a load of rubbish. So I love it, you know, it was just like, you know, you just couldn't wait to play matches, and I never, I, I thinking back, I never really felt tired playing matches, you know, you'd, you'd be knackered afterwards, because you hopefully put a shift in, but, you know, I used to relish having them games, so... I, I used to like it when we'd have like you know have a run of games and you'd be Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. Just I love that. You just playing games. That's that's what you live for. But so when you have matches that are affected by weather and you're not playing, it it can you know I suppose it's got a double. It's a sort of double-edged sword a little bit. You know, if you're going well, you just want to keep churning the matches out. But if you've had a bad run, it might not be a bad time just to sort of take stock and sort of work on things and that but yeah I think it affects any team's rhythm really whether it was Scunthorpe or anyone else so um, certainly you know you, it's not ideal as play because you just want to be playing matches and then inevitably there's a catch up later on but again you know secretly I quite liked it you know if towards the end of the season you're playing sort of Saturday midweek whereas you know, I always picked up the vibe. Sometimes you play a team and be like, oh, right, we've got all these matches and it's really affecting. I'd be thinking, you know, um, the squad we had at the time, we quite liked that, you know. we I think we were quite a positive squad and we sort of relished having lots of games. So um, you always felt you sort of had one up on the opposition for their morning that they've had too many games and they're tired and all this sort of thing, really. So, yeah, it does affect you a little bit, but more so just you just want to be played and you don't want to be <laughs> missing matches because of weather. To the end of that cold snap, Buxton is sacked once more. Mark Lillis, who would come in, is placed in temporary charge. And he sets off with a 2-1 win against Colchester. But Brian Laws has been brought in, playing in midfield. Uh, yeah. And then he's put in charge. Did you know Lawsy from Forest? Yeah, I did. I mean, Brian was there when I signed. Um, I played with him quite a bit when I was... Obviously, back in them days at Forest, like they, we reserved teams essentially, which was a decent sort of standard. I mean, you look at today's modern game, you know, not, not the lads who are on the bench don't really play in matches that much. Um, you know, they'll, they're in 23s, they'll have a game, but, you know, I watched a few of them under 23 games these days. It's, you know, certainly they're at the top level, like it's, it's not real proper football, and that sounds really disparaging. It's not, but you know what I mean, Tony? It's not. You know, it, it, it's like, as to call it, sort of painting by numbers football. It's like A to B to C, you know, and it's all nice and that, but it's different to league football. And obviously Central League was, you know, your, your pro players or the lads on the edge of the first team would play in the reserves. So, like, I was lucky to play alongside Brian in the reserves and, you know, sort of, say knew him well, but, you know, knew him quite well. And then, obviously, he came in when Mick, Mick was there and, um, I think Mick was looking at sort of bringing in experience just to help him out. And obviously, Brian had been at um, Grimsby as sort of player coach and stuff like that. And he came in and, and, and Mick went, like, it, you knew that he was going to get the job. Do you know what I mean? I just think he was sort of lined up for it massively. But, like, obviously, Jamie Forrester came into the club um, 
a bit later and um, he was talking about the Benetti incident and like how it was stated and then when you know the facts it's absolute rubbish like you know what I mean it was <laughs> but, yeah. yeah so we used to joke about that with Lawson but um, obviously you know he came in and he was playing a bit in midfield it's a bit of a sort of steady and influence and obviously took over as, as a manager and um, he knew his stuff you know um, obviously with Mark Lillis there as well and then obviously with Nigel and then you sort of had the makings of this sort of good management team at the time and you know Brian had a different ethos you know he wanted to play football he wanted to be exciting brand of football and like I said a lot of time for me it was probably a bit more methodical his style um, even though he wanted to play some football whereas Brian was like look I want to get the ball down in midfield I want to play certain way you know get the ball on the ground that's how I want to play football and he's obviously had a bit of success with Grimsby doing that and then Obviously, the roots were sowed for him at, at Nottingham Forest doing that. So, uh, as a player with the Cluffy, um, so obviously the ethos changed straight away with Brian. Um, you know, we were looking maybe to play a little bit more football, and you know, and then he started bringing in sort of a different type of player. Yeah, possibly the two-two draw with Hull at the end of that season was the standout game with Brian in charge, and it seemed to set a precedent for the next season. Yeah, you know. It's, I mean, the whole game's always massive and, um, you know, like you say, Brian come in and it took a little bit of time for him to sort of impart his vision to the players. But I think towards the end of that season, I started to take on board what he wanted us to do and um, you could see like seeds growing that, you know, things were in motion that, you know, we started sort of probably getting to a sort of method of playing football that sort of suited the squad. And obviously we got, you know, result against Hull at the end. But um, yeah, it was sort of exciting times. Felt like the club was going in the right direction. At 1997-1998, Russ Wilcox comes in. And uh, you've played quite a lot with uh, Russ. Played together quite a bit, I, I believe. Yeah, I mean, me and Russ are still our good buddies. Um, Russ came in. Experienced lad, obviously played against Russell a lot when he was at Preston. Um, he's a player I admired actually because, you know, he was one of these lads who you'd score, a, you know, battle with him for ninety minutes, but you know, shake hands after, have a beer, have a chat with him, and you know, we we still talk now. And um, you know, he he was a great addition to the club. Obviously, with Max Torrey was there as well. And we just, we had a really good, like, we've always had a good change in Scunthorpe, but like, I remember that year especially, and obviously the year after, like, the changing room was unbelievable, like, you know, just everyone was sort of on board of what we're trying to do, we sort of really got on well together as a group, um, look, don't get me wrong, it was, you know, good times and bad times, but the, the thing is, when we're in the bad times, we really stuck together, and that's what sort of hit home with me, and, you know, people like Rush coming in, experience, send it half to play alongside. I learned a lot from him. Russ, like Matty, going back to Matty Elliott, um, they both seem to score a lot of goals for being centre-halves. Did you ever give yourself a target? Yeah, I probably look at, you know, I think I had a couple of seasons where I maybe got five or something like that. So I thought if I could get five goals, I'd be well happy. You know, I was proud of myself. You know, I, I did all right, you know, over my career. and Scored a few goals, mainly headers off corners, off free kicks and stuff like that. But yeah, you do give yourselves little targets. I think it's good to do that. You know, I didn't beat myself up if I didn't score for a bit, but you always felt that, you know, I always fancied myself just to get on the end of something during the season. Um, but I think the strength we had was we sort of, you know, in that season and the season after, we're like, even though we had like, you know, Johnny scoring and 
Jamie Forrester when he came to the club. And, but everyone chipped in, you know, it's like, you know, Russell Getty or Logie when he was there, Carlo get the odd one. And, you know, it, it wasn't like we were reliant on the forwards all the time, even though we had good forwards and they were scoring goals. But I felt like, you know, Alex always had a goal in him, you know, it feels like we, we shot share goals around a little bit. So I don't I think sometimes you look at teams uh, and they're very reliant on their forwards to score the goals. Whereas I think at the time it's gone for, you know, even though we conceded one or two, we we've always fancied we could maybe outscore teams because we, we had goals in different areas. So um yeah, you know, it was always nice to score but um yeah, you know, if I got to the end of the season and contributed with um, you know, three or four goals, then I was sort of quite happy with that. Right, let's jump a little bit into 1998-1999, and that was the season. Richard Logan comes in, and uh, things start going quite well for you. Logan and Wilcox together is uh, consistency, something in your mind that uh, the team needs to have success. You've got to be consistent. Yeah, I think looking at back at that season, you know, Myself, uh, Russ and Logie playing together as a back three and then you've got, you know, Doss at left back and then you've got, you know, uh, House at right back or Paul Harsley and then you've got Alex and Justin in centre mid and, and then obviously Big Gailey up top with Johnny and uh, Jamie off him and, and then, you know, don't get me wrong, you know, there's other lads in the squad who've sort of who've slipped in and contributed but when you look at that season on the whole, you know, a lot of them lads played the majority of them games and a lot of the minutes, so um, and that helps. I think you know it's good in a team if you are sort of doing all right and you can keep the players together. Um, and we did that. Um, you know, obviously we we had a fairly successful season and um, well, very successful in the end. But you know, we always fancied ourselves to go automatically. And that was, again, you know, I'm sort of touching on the point earlier about, you know, I always felt like we could, we always had goals in us that season. Um, we had a few, you know, fives and fours and stuff like that. And, um, you know, wherever we went, home or away, I always felt that like we could win. And um, it was a nice feeling to have. Yeah, the playoffs, of course, against Swansea. And uh, you'd already beaten Swansea earlier in the season. But uh, you lose 1-0 before bringing them back to Scunthorpe. And let's hear your views on that magical night at Glamford Park with Mark Lillis racing round, which you wouldn't yes. see because you're in the dressing room with that uh, St George flag. But he yeah. really got the atmosphere worked up for you. What was it like to walk out onto Glamford Park on that night with the rafters ringing? Yeah, it was crazy. It was, you know, I'm, I'm just going to touch you quick, quickly on the game before that you just said that. You know, I think that sort of led Mark to do that was the obviously we went to Swansea, it was very hostile atmosphere, I always remember that. And, you know, we went down there and um, there was a full house and there was something to do with the Welsh flag. I don't know if they put it on the or something like, but anyway, it was, you know, it was something happened and it sort of wound Mark up a little bit. And um, But interestingly in that game, obviously, We'd beaten Swansea, but Swansea were the team that sort of had this late flurry and they were in a really good run at the end of that season and sort of, well, I don't know if you can remember, where they'd gone in and we sort of couldn't um, believe it. Like, like some of the papers had put them as favourites because they'd been on this good run. I think we'd obviously lost to Cardiff and I uh, drew with Cardiff, sorry, at the end of the season. And um, we came in, we were losing one nil at half-time and this is where I think, you know, the tie was probably won for us. It was that experience, so like, 
Richard Logan, Gailey Hughes obviously had a lot of playoff experience. We're like, um, like lads, look, you know, we've got another game. Let's not go stupid here. We said like one nil is a good result for us, so we don't have to go flying forward to get an uh, equaliser. One nil will beat them at home, and I think that's sort of, you know, having them calming influence. You know, if with a younger squad, you could have probably. You know, gone for an equaliser and maybe he's got another goal against him makes a second leg extremely difficult. So that was that was crucial. And then obviously coming back, um, you know, Mark was wound up. Everyone was sort of massively up for it. We fancied ourselves. You know, we at the end of that game we came in and obviously on the back of a defeat. And but the lads were happy with that. You know, just like like it's not you know ideal, but so we just fancied that we could turn them over at home because we'd our home form that season was really good. And then obviously got to Glanford Park and it was it was packed to rafters and the atmosphere was was electric and you know I was just thinking to myself when we we lined up before the game said like you know let's you know it's, we've got to really step up here and I, I secretly I was hoping that we could get an early goal because I think that would have just you know it would have been perfect for us and obviously Dorsey's hit one like he's not hit one before all season and um, you know. <laughs> As soon as that went in, I was like, here we go, you know, and just fancied as uh, from that point on. But like, the crowd played a massive part, you know, it was such a good atmosphere all game. And obviously, going to extra time and everything else. But, you know, as well as the lads and everyone else, the crowd was really pulled us through that day. We beat Swansea, and it's a trip down to Wembley, something I bet a young lad like yourself was really looking forward to. But Brian Laws and Mark Willis surprised everybody by taking you on a Jolly Boys out into Dublin. How did yeah. you react to that? Um, they were well happy with that, Tony, to be honest. But, but I'll tell you the story about it. I can say this because this is like, you know, a long time ago. So, so anyway, um, when we played Swansea, um, before the first leg we were away, and, um, in our contracts at the time, there was nothing written in about, you know, Used to have win bonuses and stuff. There's nothing in in our contracts about a bonus of any type for getting into playoffs or getting to Wembley. And obviously financially for the club, that's going to be really good. But obviously, so we had a meeting with the board members, and obviously as captain, I've sort of said my piece and said, look, you know, expecting like give us a load of money, but obviously it would be nice to have some sort of carrot that if we get to Wembley, it's going to be financially very good for them. But obviously the players. They're not going to see any of, anything of that. So there was a decision made. So Keith, who was a chairman at the time, saw a woman in an in and, you know, he was like, oh, I'm not quite sure. And um, yeah, I think it was Mr. Wagstaff had said, look, if you boys win this, I'll pay for you to have a trip away in between the fan, you know, if you can get through. And he said, oh, where do you want to go? And like, lads were like, oh, I'll go to Dublin. Um, so the lads... He's already sort of decided that, but um, and he stumped up the money. I think it was about six grand, something like that. And I think he paid out that out of his own pocket. Um, so obviously we won the game. And I think the reason we went there was it was quite a long time between the the semi final and the finals, like ten days or something. So obviously kicking around. I think it's the best thing we could have done because obviously we went away for sort of three or four days. We just forget about everything, forget about Wembley, even though it's in the background. Did a little bit of training. We drank a lot of beer, um, <laughs> but it, you know, and people probably look at that and probably found it. But you know what? It was just the best thing we got together as a team. It just brought us even closer together. You know, I had some funny stuff go on there, and you know, I, going to Wembley, I just I felt so confident, and you know, I just think the lead up to that, 
a lot of the press was about Leonori and I think a lot of the papers down in sort of London and stuff, you know, they're, they're going to sort of edge for the London club and Barry Hearn and stuff like that. And everything in time you pick the paper up, you know, even though obviously it was, you know, League Two and there was still enough going on in the papers and everything he picked up was nice. Well, I think one of the Orient players who played, the ladder played up front, a picture of him in front of a sports car and talking about Wembley. There's nothing about us. So we've gone into that finishing above them, but like in the Swansea game, that game, we, we sort of felt like underdogs and we went on the pitch and they were there and they looked a million dollars in their suits and we were like, our own club <laughs> um, blazers, which I hated, with our gold buttons and like all different coloured trousers and we looked a bit ragged, so obviously from others. <laughs> that sort of suited us really because I think going away relaxed the team and um, another masterstroke, I thought, by Brian and the, the, was they took us down to Wembley the day before and we went, actually went into Wembley, just in the stands, had a walk around, took the atmosphere in, even though there was no one there. But sort of, it was good for lads who'd never been to Wembley before I'd been, but to watch an England player, but I'd never played there. And, you know, so that was good, sort of relaxing. So everybody just turning up on the day and it's all new and you sort of, could be sort of overloads. So the lads had gone in and we relaxed, had a really good evening, woke up the next day, obviously had the team meeting, went to Wembley and I just sort of went on the pitch, they looked nervous and we were a lot more relaxed than them. And then, I mean, the best thing was in the tunnel, you could tell how relaxed we were. We started laughing and joking, they were like deadly serious. And uh, Hicksy, obviously was playing in Mexico and he, um, he was lined up in the tunnel and we were waiting to go out. And you could hear like Russ laughing. He went, Oh, geez, you've seen Gailey. And Gailey was bouncing the ball off Hicksy's head at the back of the thing, <laughs> bouncing off his head. And the lads were in stitches. And Hicksy didn't know what to do because obviously Gailey's a big block and didn't want to sort of. But Gailey was just tight, having some fun. And the lads were like laughing and joking. And it was like poles apart. They were so tight. And we were just sort of very relaxed and obviously focused. But I just felt, you know, we'd. We just seemed better prepared for that game, and I think the trip sort of helped with that. Was it the same sort of game plan you used for any game, or did you have a specific game plan for that match? No, I, you know, to fair Brian, in all the times I played for him, I've not once played for Brian Law's team, and he's going, right, we're going to sit back, or we're going to go for a draw, went, we're going to beat them. You know, it's like he's always been that type, of, which I really liked. And, um, you know, the way we'd been playing, that was where we played, we attacked. He said... You know, you look at our team and it was like, people say, oh, they play five at the back. It wasn't really. We played like a 3-4-3. Three, three. So, you know, it, it, which was unusual. When you look at it, everyone, you know, might have played with the extra man in midfield. And, you know, but we had these three lads up top. And, you know, John Gale, you know, Gale got a little bit of stick. But without him, he, you know, he took so much of the focus of, like, he was sort of battling centre-halves. And Jamie and John at the time would, you know, really the rewards of that. So... You know, Blasey come in and go, right, you know, we've beaten these this season. We're just going to play our normal, how we've been playing. And the first half went according to plan. We obviously, we got the goal. Obviously, um, Gareth had come in for Johnny. Johnny getting sent off in the semi-final, which, you know, it was great for Gareth. And he'd obviously, his goals had sort of put us through. And, um, but it was good for John because obviously he'd played such a big part in the club for a lot of years. To miss out on that big day, was, I was good for him. But, um, you know, obviously his value that season was huge and he got us, helped us get us there. Um, so that was a bit of a miss. But Gareth was, you know, on the back of semi-final scoring goals, young lads. 
um, confidence. He helps help the goal, you know. Um, so, you know, sometimes this is written in the stars, isn't it, really? So, first half, you just think, you know, I watched it back on um, the first time I'd watched the game fully on the club had done like this YouTube thing and um, I watched it and, you know, we just been total control. Really. There was a few sort of forays forward and then obviously they made a few changes at half time and, um, you know, we were under the pump a little bit, but, um, we, you know, we, we defended well and Tommy made a few good saves and, um, yeah, incredible game. Just the atmosphere. I thought he got a bit like a Sunday afternoon stroll at sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, Certainly, first half we just we just felt really comfortable, Tony, and it was like you know I think they lacked ideas. They were going sort of back to front, looking for that long ball, and that's just like meat and drink to me. And Logie and Russ were just heading it back and getting possession. And you know when I look back at the game, it's we maybe give possession away a little bit too much, maybe in the centre of the field at times. But you know um, that's probably been ultra critical. But we always felt like you know and going at half time. I just remember it being incredibly hot. And I'm going into the, the bathroom to stick my head in the cold tap for about five minutes, just couldn't cool down. And, but the, the, there was no change in the game plan, just to stick to it. Um, and credit to Zorian, I mean, they came out and they still sort of went back to front, but they sort of pushed more off and forward and looked to try and get down the channels. They got long throws and free kicks and stuff. So they put a bit more pressure on us, but I thought we handled it quite well. And, we always looked a threat on the break and maybe, you know, a couple of times you broke away could have made it a bit easier for us. But um, that's not the scum that wears it. So we always uh, have to do it the hard way. But uh, we got there in the end. And uh, I mean, when that final whistle went, it was such a good feeling. But it must have been, a, this is an obvious question. How was it actually playing at Wembley? Was it after your first touch, subtle nerves? I... I Thoroughly relished it, to be honest. I took it all in, you know. As daft as it sounds, having that um, experience with Forrest as a kid, and obviously I didn't play, but I was going out in front of a decent, a big crowd, and sort of that, you know, looking back at that, that's probably helped me a little bit. But um, yeah, just you know, obviously there's nerves before any match, but and, and especially that one, and as captain, you know, you feel a you know, certain sense of responsibility, and. Um, but once a game gets going, Tony, I've always been the same, whether it's been a big game or like you're playing for reserves or whatever. You just like once the game gets going, you get into that mode. And I just felt relaxed. And I got asked about like, you know, this sort of run I had with the games and stuff. And people said, What was your secret? And I said, Well, one manager's picked me. But I said, you know, I think one of our strengths was that I just went on that pitch and I just thought of, you know, as soon as the game started, I just thought about what I had to do as a centre half. and you know, it was like, you know, forget the ball, try and keep it, you know, really simple stuff. But, um, and that's what it is. As soon as that West whistle went, it was like, I'm in the game mode now. Sort of at the atmosphere was there, but you sort of blends into the background and you just concentrate on doing your job, really. And the game flew, flew by. It just seemed to, it's funny, some games sort of drag, but that game sort of like went past in a nanosecond. It really seemed like no time at all. It was half time. And then second half, you know, the last 10 minutes seemed long because we're hanging on a bit. But, um, you know, it was, uh, let's say, sweet when that final whistle went. You must have thought that this would give you great confidence uh, for the next season once you've won promotion. Yeah. But players, Forrester and Air, they left the club. They didn't sign new deals. Hodges was brought in, but he wasn't an out-and-out striker. No. You must have been disappointed to get relegated after you'd been promoted. 
Um, yeah, well, that's an statement. Sorry, I mean, I was I was excited after we got promotion because I thought, you know, we got the makings of a very good team, which we did have. We got goals in us, you know. And I was thinking, right, if we keep hold of one and we add to that, we're gonna. I'm saying we, well, I think we would have held our own, and um, that's a disappointing thing. I think looking back as a club. You know, I'm not laying the blame on anyone, you know, Brian or you know, maybe his hands are tied a little bit, I'm not sure, but obviously Jamie leaving and John leaving. I understand Jamie's. I think if the club had tried a bit harder with John, he would have re-signed because I spoke to him about it, but he felt that they didn't really offer him any more than what he was going to get anyway. Um, Jamie had sort of got a decent offer abroad, I think. And But the, the disappointment for me was that we just didn't... You know, obviously, they've got some decent money going to Wembley and obviously going up the division and, you know, reinvesting that money in forwards because, you know, you live and breathe by them. And I said, like, in that season, we were chipping in with forwards. But if you haven't got forwards, you're actually putting the ball in the back of the net. It's incredibly difficult. And make no bones about it, the following season, we just weren't good enough, um, you know, attacking-wise or defensively. But there were tight games where... You know, if we added Jamie Forrester or Johnny or someone else brought into the club, then you know we we might have got the points needed to stay up, and it might have been by the skin of our teeth. But you know, we just never seemed to, and that's not disparaging on Gailey and Gary Bull and Stampy and Gareth and people like that, but we just didn't have any proven out and out strikers. And um, Bully was, but he just didn't really, you know, work for every reason. Brian sort of probably wasn't having him or he's a bit older or something but you know Hodgie was a terrific player but you know if you brought him in and you still had a John or JB off they weren't there you 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 had to replace them we just never replaced them we never really addressed that the whole season and certainly as a player it was frustrated but make no bones about it you know I hold myself and I'm sure the rest of the lads are accountable that the performances weren't good enough and um, we we Leagues don't lie, we deserve to go down the end and as good in it as it was, it was, you know, it was not scoring enough goals, not, you know, conceding some stupid ones, but, you know, you look in any league, you need to have strikers, you're going to put the ball in the back of the net, otherwise you're dead in the water. You um, move on to Gillingham, and as far as I'm concerned, and I'm maybe reading this wrong, you move to a club, although playing in higher league, a lot similar to Scunthorpe United, a homely type club with some good people around you. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, I mean, the move come around, it's funny how football goes. We we played Gillingham, they beat us at home. And I knew for the Gillingham lads, Nicky Southall, I was the apprentice at Darling with him. So I've been friends with Nicky for a lot of years. And a few knew the other one, Mark Patterson, and a few other people. And, um, you know, people talk and like, they're saying, oh, Peter Taylor really likes you and stuff like that. And this was during the season. But I had no thoughts about that. I was like, and even at the end of that season, I was thinking, right, we've been relegated, but we can go back up again. But you hear whispers and, you know, my time at Scunthorpe, I'd like, you know, my, the, I think it was my fifth season there, like Reading had come in and they were like, you know, it's, it happened at that time, Tony, but like I'd had a, a phone call from a player at Reading and he was saying look the manager wants to sign you but you've got to go into Scunthorpe and make a bit of a hoo-ha and we'll get you out of there and I didn't want to leave and um, you know I had no intentions of leaving the club at the end of the season when we got relegated um, but there was obviously a bit of interest from from, from Gillingham and there was uh, Dundee uh, in their Scottish Premier contacted 
me as well. And so you hear about these things. Um, and then you hear more stuff through the summer saying Gillingham and they've just been promoted. And, you know, I looked at my, my age at the time, I was 28 and Scunthorpe had just gone down. And, you know, I, I think I'd been pre- pretty loyal to Scunthorpe. And I was thinking at 28, are we going to, you know, I might, you know, as any football, you want to play a high level of possible. But again, I was still thinking, you know, if, you know I won't lie to you if I thought that, you know, I'd heard about it thinking championship football. I've never played championship football. Will I get this opportunity again? Anyway, I didn't think anything of it. And then I got a phone call off Brian and he said, look, we had an uh, offer off Gillingham. And he sort of made my mind up and I'm not going to, but I was like, look, I'm fully committed to Scunthorpe, you know, but, you know, I won't lie to you. I said, it is appealing at the time. Um, he said, look, Hope, he said, you know, I don't really want you to go, but financially for the club, we've just been relegated, but it's really good money. It's like 250 grand, I think, at the time. And, you know, can help me get a few players and stuff like that. So, sort of between us, we sort of, you know, you know, I sort of agreed that I'd done yeah, my time there. Yeah, so I'd sort of done my time there and sort of moved on. And as hard as that was, because the thing that, you know, and still to this day, didn't sit sort of particularly well with me. I didn't want to leave on a relegation. You know, I mean, that Oxford game still turns my stomach. I was so gutted that we went down, um, you know, and it just almost felt like, I owe, owe the Scunthorpe fans to try and get back up again the following season. But, you know, football doesn't wait for no man and the opportunity come. And I had to make a decision that, you know, as hard as it was, would I ever get this opportunity playing the championship? And, um, you know, I went to a club at Gillingham and, and had seven years there, uh, six years there, sorry. You know, I you know, was lucky that I played for a great club like Scunthorpe, like Homely Club. Um, again, Great rapport with the fans. We used to go in the Iron Bar afterwards, and a similar sort of thing when I went to Gillingham. You know, we always felt like that this rapport with the fans at both clubs really. So, um, you know, good dressing room. Um, everyone got on really well. Families and stuff like that. So, sort of, you know, you look at the size of the clubs. There's not much between them really. You know, obviously where Gillingham are, they're a bit sort of out the way. So maybe his fan base is slightly bigger, but not hugely when you look at the crowds now but at the time you know the, in the championship it was selling out each week and there was like 10, 11,000 something like that but yeah so I sort of moved from one club and just felt right at home at another one because it was very similar to a club that I'd already been at you know we've gone to a club as you know a, a new club that were sort of underdogs a lot of lads that played lower leagues um, same as myself first time in the championship um, and we sort of did alright for quite a while and caused a few upsets and um but yeah it was hard it was a hard decision Tony but you know it was probably the right one at the time. You had a lot of success at Gillingham? Yeah I mean we you know in the championship at the time we probably had I'd probably say one of the lowest budgets. Um and, and the money I signed for was probably wasn't much more than I was on the scrum to be honest with you. But you know again it was like I've always wanted to try and sort of test myself as the highest level as possible so when you say successful I think we were fairly successful we had you know five seasons in the championship and um, you know the first three seasons especially we sort of finished mid-table I think the third season there we finished 12th 11th something like that and there were some massive clubs like Man City's and people like that in, in, in there at the time so we sort of punched above our weight for quite a while 
Well, maybe it went down a similar track to what happened at um, Scunthorpe. We we had some very good players, Marlon King and Paul Shaw, Carlos Sabra, people like that who scored loads of goals for us. And then they sort of went and we we just didn't replace them. And, you know, I look now and manage, see managers and goal scorers are so hard to come by and um, they're worth the weight in gold. And if you can sort of fall on one, it's... It's such a help to the team. So, um, you know, I, I, you know, I love my time at Scunthorpe. I was lucky. I love my time at Gillingham. So, the bulk of my career was spent two clubs that I had a fantastic time with. Would you consider management? Well, I, when I went, I, I left Gillingham and joined Russian and Diamonds at the time. Paul Hart was manager, and um, they'd just been relegated. I don't know. I don't know if it off from Brentford to stay in the football league, actually. But I knew Harty. He was my youth, one of my youth coaches at Nottingham Forest, and I just he'd signed some decent players and rushed at the time was an unbelievable setup. And um, he was like really positive. And it was like I just thought it was a, sort of something I could get my teeth into. And I thought, right, okay, let's like try and get back in the league. And he signed some good players and, and stuff like that. So I had my time there, and we went through a few managers. It didn't really work out. But my last season there, I was sort of player coach, and the plan was that I would not play as much and coach a lot more but that's why I went a bit awry and um, I ended up playing virtually every game and still yes. coaching but it was a lot um, but I enjoyed it you know it was it was it was good and um, you know we we probably didn't really as much as I, I love doing the coaching and stuff like that just in Edinburgh came in to help Gary the manager out and um, you know it's to sort of do the job I was supposed to be doing because I was playing, it was very hard to do everything and sort of, you know, Justin came in and helped with the coach and eventually he took over as manager for my last season there. So, uh, in that season, sorry. So, um, yeah, so I enjoyed it, doing the coaching. Obviously, I've always sort of done youth coaching and stuff like that and um, keep my eye in. And uh, But I'll be honest, Tony, I'm loving the job I've got. I work at a school called Kim Bolton, sort of the... Uh, head coach for the football there, but I do various other sports, uh, cricket, hockey, netball, you name it, um, a bit of all sorts really. Um, so uh, this sort of stage is always exciting because we have our football seasons starts in September and, um, you know, at the school we, we play fixtures every Saturday, which is quite exciting. And obviously I've been there at the school like over 10 years now. So you see this progression of these kids that at a very young age to coming through as like seniors which is like under 18s and um, so uh, yeah looking forward to that um, apart from that I'll be doing my usual getting out I've seen a few games obviously I was doing a bit of radio the odd game for Scunthorpe last year which was really good to come and see the team but yeah if I'm if I'm not involved with fixtures on a Saturday I'm normally out with my son and we'll go and watch a game locally and just take in a bit of football whether that's league football or non-league you know you'd never say never but um, I'm quite happy what I'm doing I, I, I've always coached football from a, you know even when I was at Scunthorpe I was going out doing community stuff and that but um, yeah um, to get back into league football I don't think I'd do that now I just think you know it's such a short-lived thing you know I don't think you get time to sort of get your teeth into it properly and I'm just enjoying watching it have your boys got involved in football? Um, I've got three boys. My middle one, Ewan, he plays a bit of football. Yeah, he plays locally and stuff. Uh, my elder two, uh, my eldest lad, he's not so fussed. And my younger one, um, again, equally. But that's not, you know, 
I think people think as you're football, your, your sons are going to follow in your footsteps. It's not necessarily the case. I'm, you know, proud of them and what they're doing. And um, it's, it's quite nice. To, you know, like I said, football's been my life, but you have different interests. So, you know, to come home and sort of switch off from football, when, especially when I was playing, um, it is quite good to just sort of get your head into something else. And um, Ewan, who likes for his double keen, he's, I mean, he's got more knowledge than I have. He knows from every player where they've been and clubs and stats and stuff like so sometimes I've got to ask him and I know when I do a few of the games for Scunthorpe I'm on the phone to him asking him about players because he knows more than I do but yeah I mean it's, you know, there's still the interest there and I'll always love my football and it's been good I've enjoyed doing the radio um, when Matt's asked me to, to, to help with uh, obviously Radio Humberside and you get to obviously because with working most Saturdays you only get to watch Scunthorpe or Gillingham play but um, obviously doing the radio and stuff, it's been, been good to see the, the team play. And um, I didn't bring them much luck last year when I did the games. But um, it, it's always nice to see what's going on. So hopefully you get the opportunity uh, to do that again. Which manager would you rush to put your boots on for again? Do you know what, Tony? Anyone. I'd love to be playing. Um, you know, I suppose what I'm saying is, who was your best manager? Best manager. That is tricky. That is tricky. Had some really good managers I played under, and uh, you know, obviously, I think fondly of of Lawsy because of the success we had. He was brilliant, and then at Gillingham, Andy Hessenthal was fantastic as well. It's just tough between them two. I think it could go either way. Um, you know, probably the two managers where I've had my most success under. So it's it's a flip of a coin, really. But um, yeah, if I had a phone call of both of them, I'd definitely want to play for them. Who is the best player you've ever played against? Well, I've been fortunate in the fact that, you know, my time at Scunthorpe, I'm dealing with, you know, with cup runs and stuff. I played against some pretty damn good players. But when I was younger at Forest, I played against Giggs and Beckham and stuff at Man United. They were in the reserves there. You know, I was fortunate to play, like, again, in the youth team at Forest, like people like Clarence Seedorf and Vieri and people like these big lads, George Weir. Um, but I think Zola, probably, when we were chilling and we, we played Chelsea in the cup and he absolutely gave me the run around. Like, his movement was ridiculous and, like, eyes in the back of his head and he was crazy. Um, you know, yeah, and that's the thing as a player, I think, when you get the opportunity to play against these lads, it's such a thrill. But you just test yourself, you always go on there and you just think, wow, well, I'm going to show you how good you are. What are you making of the Premier League on TV without any fans? Listen, I was desperate for any football, so, you know, it was to see football back, it, it, it's brilliant. Um, I watched a bit of the Bundesliga because they had come back about a week or two before that. You know, it was hard to get my head around like the crowd noise getting pumped into the stadium and they getting that wrong a little bit with uh, goal efforts and stuff like that. But you can, see, you can see it's different. I think when there's a crowd in there and, um, you know, I think it gives that extra edge to a game. I think there's some players, now you're looking, they start playing with a bit more freedom, whereas maybe other players probably thrive on that. Like I said to you earlier, when I was at like, the Wembley game, I sort of switched the crowd off. But what I mean by that is that, you know, I was sort of got my game head on, but I do thrive on the crowd, you know. So when you're playing, it does help. And like when you're defending or attacking or whatever, you know, the crowd, you are aware of that. You know, the crowd getting behind you, you certainly massively feel that. So I think then the players must find that strange. You look at it and you think it looks like a reserve game at times, the pace of it. Um, I think it's starting to sort of, you know, they're getting more used to it now, but it's, it, it's, it's going to be different, you know, without a crowd there. 
So one last question before we wind it up. Well, we're going to let you go. Where does Scunthorpe rank in your career? And uh, what does Scunthorpe itself mean to you? Well, if I didn't have Scunthorpe United, I certainly wouldn't have had the career I'd. Um, you know, Scunthorpe gave me the opportunity. I'd gone there without any league experience. I've obviously had played a little bit in the conference for Kettering on loan in my last season at Forest but it was funny I just you know I, at the time when I signed for the club I'd had clubs in higher divisions like Stoke City and people who wanted to sign me but it's got a feeling about it you know I just felt, felt felt right at the time and you know in my whole time I was there you know people working on the ground and with supporters and stuff and I always think it was like an honesty about the place and um, you know we used to go on the Irons Bar after games and you know, win, lose or draw and you'd get into some quite interesting conversations if we got beat. And, but I think the fans appreciated that honesty as well. And, um, you know, I always felt if I didn't go to Scunthorpe, would I had the career I did or played as many games as I did or played in the championship? So I owe Scunthorpe a massive amount and I enjoyed my time thoroughly there. Obviously lived there for quite a few years until I met my wife and, um, you know, um, and still have friends in the area involved with the club. So, you know, there's always going to be a part of me um, attached to Scunthorpe. And, um, you know, I enjoy having the opportunities to go and do the radio and see the club and support them. And, um, you know, we have in the past, me and my son, you know, in the past, one over Milton Keynes, he's close by and just gone as a supporter, just sat with the supporters and go and watch them as, you know, anyone else would. So, um it's nice to do that. But yeah, I think if I hadn't signed for Scunthorpe, who knows, I might not have done what I've done. I might have only had a short football career. So, you know, it was a fantastic meet for to sign there and I owe them uh, a massive amount. Thanks very much, Chris. No, no, it's been nice to talk to you, Tony. So um, it's been a long time, but um, always enjoyed speaking to you after matches and, you know, and obviously seeing you and your family. And um, obviously I see Amanda's doing well still, so with her family, so... And uh, give my love to Lisa. I will do, I will do. Our thanks to Tony Shepperton and, of course, the Scunthorpe United legend Chris Hope for the interview and giving us all that time. Thank you very much for listening to this. We hope you've enjoyed both episodes. So please do like, share, send us a comment about it. We do appreciate those. We like reading them. And if you haven't done so already, please do subscribe to the podcast. Now, the regular panel, as well as Tony, will be back for some more In Conversation episodes in the near future. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.